God, we acknowledge right now that no matter what we see, no matter what we hear, even what we experience, Lord, beyond everything and, and underneath everything, there's a foundational truth that you are good. You are good. You are good. If we're in a perfect ideal situation, you are good. If we're in a storm and a challenge and a trial, you are good. That does not change. That doesn't shift. We don't get up in the morning and wonder whether or not you are good. Lord, you are good. Your mercy endures forever. Great is your faithfulness. And God, we give you glory, Lord God. We give you honor. We give you praise. Lord, as we're about to look at what your word says, we recognize that woven all throughout every word and every page is your goodness. And you demonstrate and you, you extend your goodness to us. And so, Lord, we're just so grateful. We're so thankful and we receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, shout out to God. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Welcome this morning to Journey Church. Um, I'm Aaron Poor, the associate pastor here. Uh, pastor Sean and Becca have, are just getting back from uh, their epic trip to celebrate their 25th wedding anniversary. So uh, Pastor Sean asked me to speak again this week, so I'm honored to do that. And we are in the top 10 series, which is dealing with the Ten Commandments. And I think it's appropriate that we just sang this song, King of My Heart, You Are Good, You Are Good, because the Ten Commandments, as we dig into this, and I, and I hope you, you're beginning to see this, that these Ten Commandments are about the goodness of God. And they really lead us to freedom. And today's no exception. So today we are in Exodus 20, verse 13. And Exodus 20, 13, out of the King James Version of the Bible, is thou shalt not kill. So the message today is, don't do it. All right, you're dismissed. Thank you guys for coming out today. <laughs> thou shalt not kill seems like it should be the easiest of all the commandments to understand, but in some ways, it's the one that requires the most explanation. Um, I know for probably everyone here, if you take that at face value, um, that's the one you kind of like, okay, checked that box, let's move on to something relevant. Um, but thou shalt not kill is what it says in the King James translation. Um, however, the King James translation on this particular verse is not accurate. Now, I did not say the Bible is not accurate. I said this particular translation on this particular verse is not accurate. And I can show that to you. I can demonstrate that to you. Both Hebrew and English uh, have two words for taking a life, okay? Um, in English, one word is kill, and I have it up there in Hebrew. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. It doesn't sound like it looks, and I will butcher it. 
But that's what the word is. And one word is murder. And there's the uh, Hebrew uh, word for murder. So kill, these are two different things. These are not the same thing. They're not interchangeable. Um, kill is to end a life. A human, an animal, a plant. You can, you can leave here after this uh, service and go by weed killer. So, uh, and, and it could be moral. It could be immoral. It could be uh, intentional or it could be accidental. But to murder is to illegally and immorally end a human life. So there's a distinction. There's a difference. It's an important distinction. I don't say that, um, you know, the, the exterminator came to my house and murdered all of the ants. But I wish they would. Is it just me? Does anybody else have like an ant apocalypse happening at their house? I mean, we're just, it's like, uh, anyway, man, let's not get off on that rabbit trail. But although, uh, you know, Hebrews, or the, I'm sorry, not Hebrews, the Hebrew language, the Hebrew word in that particular commandment is, the, is, is murder. It's, so the, the commandment accurately translated is do not murder. And, and if you go into many, many, many other Bible translations, many other you know, uh, accurate, consistent, trusted translations, you'll see that almost all of them translate it, do not murder. And, but when you think about the Ten Commandments and you're going through all these in your head, a lot of people think thou shalt not kill. And so this is an important distinction because a lot of error can spring out of misunderstanding the meaning here. Now, let's zoom out for just a second. Let's get a bigger picture view of the top 10 because we're at an interesting place in this list. The first four um, commandments deal with how we relate to God. If you think about it, you have no other gods before me. Don't make a carved image. Uh, don't take God's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. And then the fifth commandment that we looked at last week, honor your father and mother, we begin to transition uh, to a different focus. And so, and so here on out, we're dealing with how we relate to people. Think about that. You know, honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Don't covet anything of your neighbors. So since this is family weekend, by the way, uh, at the beginning of the week as I was preparing this message, this message was going a very different direction. And somebody reminded me it was family weekend. And so it was greatly edited. Uh, and so I think we've ended up where we need to be. But since it is family weekend, uh, Becky DeWitt, who directs our children's ministry, sent me this video to kind of get the kids onto the same page and bring everybody up to speed. So let's check this video out. Hey kids, have you ever wondered why your parents have some of the rules they do? Maybe they don't let you play video games before you do your homework. Or maybe they make you clean your room on Fridays. Whatever it is, they probably have a good reason for it. Did you know that God gave us some really important rules to follow too? That's right. Let's find a little bit more about those rules. God gave 10 commandments for the people to follow. 
A little while after the Israelites escaped Egypt, God called Moses to the top of a mountain. And when he got up there, God gave him ten important rules. And those rules are called the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments are about us and God. The first four commandments are, you must not have any other God. You must not have any idols or worship things other than God. You must not misuse the name of God. And lastly, you should take one day a week to rest and worship God. And these commandments teach us how to respect God and worship only Him. The last six commandments are about people and us. These commandments are to honor your mother and father. Don't murder anyone. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. And don't be jealous of other people. Some of these seem pretty obvious, but they help us to love other people. They show us how we should treat others. The whole point is to love God and love people. One time, some really religious people came to Jesus to ask him which commandment was most important out of all of them. He didn't pick one, but instead he gave him two different commandments. He said the greatest commandment of all is to love God with all your heart. And he said the second greatest commandment is to love others just as you love yourself. These two commandments explain all of them. Memory verse. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Jesus was trying to tell them that the commandments weren't just about following rules, but they were really about having good relationships. See, if you understand that you need to love God and love others, then the rules don't matter. You'll be following them anyway. So kids, just like your parents have good reasons for all of their rules, so does God. He wants us to love Him and others. I think they did a pretty good job, don't you? Maybe we should do that every week. I don't know. But I, I want to I actually dig in just a little bit to that verse that they shared on that video. So they're talking about how, how Jesus is uh, dialing in on this uh, truth that the commandments are broken down into these two categories. And so we've got this emphasis on God and this emphasis on others. And so the verse they were talking about there, Matthew 22, starting in 36, let's look at it. It says, teacher, which is the greatest command, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so Jesus goes into a much more detailed uh, exposition on this in the Sermon on the Mount. So you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 through 7 is this perfect message that Jesus teaches. Um, and it's kind of interesting because the first part uh, of the story, or verse one of chapter five, talks about how the masses, you know, and all the people were there. But then Jesus goes up on a mountain, thus Sermon on the Mount, and he takes his disciples with him and he teaches them. And so you think about the audience 
of the Sermon on the Mount. It, it puts, what Jesus teaches takes on a different context when you realize who he's teaching. So he's teaching his followers. He's not teaching an average, random person that wanders up and is just curious about what's going on. He's teaching his followers. And so he's teaching Christians. He's teaching people like you and me. So that kind of brings the emphasis home. So the Sermon on the Mount is kind of the great manifesto of the Christian faith. And he's correcting wrong teaching, wrong emphasis, wrong motivation, and he's revealing to people how important uh, the condition of your heart is. Because the condition of your heart is the great decider of your life. You could even say, as your heart goes, so goes the rest of your life. Um, Proverbs 4.23 says that we have to keep our heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Some translations say, guard your heart. Okay? And so this is kind of a little precursor to where Jesus is going with his teaching. But the importance of guarding our heart is incredibly important. So we're going to look at this commandment, the one that we're on today, in light of how Jesus taught on it. Because we can take a few verses out of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus actually deals directly with this commandment. Um, and he's dealing with the heart. He's dealing with issues of the heart. because, And I think that's relevant to you and me because I think statistically speaking, we probably don't have a room full of murderers. I hope, really. Um, so, but there is a truth here and there is a revelation here, and there is something that Jesus is teaching that is absolutely relevant to every single person here. So uh, this is the section of the Sermon on the Mount that deals with this commandment. And here's how I want to do it. It's, it's a few verses. I want to read through it a uh, little bit at a time in the English Standard Version, which is the version we typically use here at Journey Church. But then I also want to see what that particular verse looks like from the message translation as well, um, which I kind of refer to that as kind of like a commentary translation. It's not really a word-for-word -word literal translation or anything like that, but it is kind of a rephrasing or a paraphrasing of the verse, and sometimes it gives a broader perspective. So let's look at what Jesus had to say about the Sixth Commandment. Matthew 5, 21 through 26 you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Wow. So the message translation puts it this way. You're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother idiot and you just might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister and you are on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral, act, or the simple moral fact is that words kill. So Jesus, remember his 
his audience is disciples, Christians. Jesus is calling out willful anger among Christians. Um, Acting out in anger or letting anger linger in your heart um, is, is one of those, see if I can explain this, and you probably will know what I'm talking about. It's one of those Christian sins, right? You know, it's, and that's kind of what Jesus is dealing with here. He's got people following him, and they're like, oh, yeah, I know all about do not murder. Yeah, no problem. No murderers here. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. No, you, you're, you're good to go on not taking someone's life, but you all are stumbling in having anger in your heart where murder begins. And so he's calling out this thing. And we can sometimes let this pass as what I just called like a Christian sin because we might say, well, my anger is a righteous anger. I've done that. Or maybe you would say, well, that's just my personality, you know. That's how my personality shows up. Or maybe you would say, that's just what boldness and leadership look like in me. It looks angry. But see, here's the thing. All of those things that I just said could be true. They could be true. But if you are dealing with anger in some form or another, more than ever, you have to check the condition of your heart. Because if anger is involved... It may be a righteous anger. I mean, when I look at some things that are going on today, when I, when I see things in the news, I have a righteous anger. And it's not wrong to have a righteous anger. But if I have anger flowing through me, that's where Proverbs 4.23 comes in, in force. I've got to guard the condition of my heart. Because Jesus equates anger in your heart with murder. And so, again, I realize we're talking about different types of anger and anger taking different forms and things like that. All I'm saying is, if you detect anger present in your heart, you need to be immediately checking the condition of your heart. So the truth is, if you've given your life to Jesus, and this is a hard thing to hear, this is a hard thing to say, But if you've given your life to Jesus, you have given up the right to be offended. That's the truth. You've given up your right to be offended. There's simply no personal offense. Now, I said personal offense. I'm not talking about righteous anger and the things going on in the news and all that stuff. There's simply no personal offense that is justified for the redeemed believer whose identity is firmly rooted in Christ. There just isn't. And so if you become offended, all right, I'm going to quote my old pastor here, which I know he just took this from some other pastor. It's probably been around for 2,000 years. But you may, be, you may have heard this, this statement before. If you become offended, don't curse it, don't nurse it, don't rehearse it, But, anybody? Oh, I've got a fresh audience. (laughs) Let me back it up. If you've become offended, think about these words. Don't curse it. Don't go into cursing mode. Don't nurse it. Don't hold on to it and let it linger. 
Don't wallow in self-pity. Don't rehearse it. This is where I stumble sometimes. I have these mental arguments where nobody else is there but me, but I've created a simulation of the other person and I win every argument. Don't rehearse it, but reverse it. Reverse it. 1 John 4.20 says, if anyone says, this is one of those hard sayings of the Bible, but this is what the Bible says. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So here's how serious this is. If you're consistently angry, if you're holding anger in your heart, if you're calling people an idiot or a fool, um, then your spiritual check engine light is flashing. That's a warning sign. That's a red flag that you need to check out what's going on in here. Because listen, the implication in 1 John is that hatred of a brother or sister means that you don't even know God. And what that verse is literally saying is, how can you know God? And the implication for calling, for calling someone an idiot or a fool or stupid, from the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, is judgment and fire. So if you discover this in your heart, act quickly and act decisively. Because here's the deal. We, we've just saying about God, you are good, you are good, you are good. God wants freedom for you. He wants you to be free. And we're going to get there. Let's just keep moving. I'm getting better at not rambling. You're going you're gonna to see this. We're, we're like streamlining more and more all the time. We're just going to stay on point here. Okay, if you discover this in your heart, act quickly. So let's continue with what Jesus is saying. Verse 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother, this is an amazing thing Jesus says. If you are offering your gift at your altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Listen to the message translation. Jesus says, this is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. Abandon your offering. Leave immediately. Go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. God is saying, please don't come and worship me with a heart full of bitterness, resentment, and anger. Go make things right first. Then come worship me. And that goes against what we would think of as Christian conventional wisdom. Because what we think is, I've got a lot of junk inside of me. I've got a lot. Of, I'm so angry with that person. Uh, you know, I'm ticked off at what they said. I need to go worship God. 
That's Christian conventional wisdom, but that's not Jesus's wisdom. Jesus's wisdom is this is serious. This is a big deal. This is interrupting your ability to experience the presence of God and you need to deal with it before you come and worship me. And here's why it's such a big deal. Because some of you may have had difficulty or a challenge experiencing the presence, the power, the goodness of God. You may be hearing other people say, we had such a powerful prayer time. That was such an amazing time in the presence of God in worship. Did you experience God's? And you're like, no, I, I haven't felt anything for a long time. And you may, you may be thinking, I've been going through a dry season. Things are just stale. I don't sense the presence of God. And this may be the reason. So we've got to be able to look into our heart and see what's happening in there. Okay, uh, verse 25, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you'll be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. And then the message says, or say you're on the street and an old enemy accosts you. Do not lose a minute, make the first move, make things right with him. After all, if you leave the first move to him, knowing his track record, you'll likely, you're likely end up in court, maybe even in jail. If that happens, you won't get out without a stiff fine. Make things right. Work things out. Swallow your pride. Humble yourself. This is, this is for your health. This is for your well-being. This is for your peace. Uh, it's, and, and we could, you could very, very easily have a part two to this message just on forgiveness and how powerful it is. But that's what this is talking about here. So uh, don't speak negatively of your brothers or your sisters in the kingdom of God. Uh, be extremely careful about the words that come out of your mouth. Be very careful. You know, you can have a moment of anger. It, it, it can happen, and it probably does happen, and it probably will happen. Before you go to bed tonight, it, you may have a flash of anger. But when you speak that out, it takes on a new life. You got to be very careful about the words that come out of your mouth. James 4, 11 through 12 says this, Dear friends, as part of God's family, never speak against another family member. For when you slander a brother or sister, you violate God's law of love. And your duty is not to make yourself a judge of the law of love by saying that it doesn't apply to you, but your duty is to obey it. There is only one true lawgiver and judge, the one who has the power to save and destroy. So who do you think you are? to judge your neighbor. Guard your words, guard your heart. Now, here's an important question. Is it a sin to be angry? And in some ways, we've already answered this earlier, but let's just deal with it directly. Is it a sin to be angry? No, it is not a sin to be angry. It comes down to what you do with the anger that matters. And, and, and whether or not you're letting it linger. Ephesians 4, 26 through 27, this is out of the Living Bible here. It says, 
If you are angry, don't sin by nursing your grudge. Don't let the sun go down with you still angry. Get over it quickly. For when you are angry, you give a mighty foothold to the devil. And this is what happens in so many circumstances. When you don't choose to resolve, to make it right, to work things out. When you don't choose to let go of that offense or whatever it is that's making you angry. You unintentionally create an access point. You create a vulnerability where the enemy can attack you and then the problem becomes many times worse. So our emotions are a wonderful gift from God. They came from God. Uh, We were not meant to be emotion free. We were not to be, uh, it's kind of interesting uh, in, in all the preparation for this message I was reading about, and this is kind of, sounds kind of boring, but I was kind of reading about some writings of the old church fathers that were actually teaching that we are supposed to not have any emotions and we're supposed to be, we're supposed to, to d- basically destroy our emotions. But that's not the case. God gave us emotions. Our emotions uh, help us to enjoy life. They, 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 they create a deeper satisfaction in the good things that we experience. Emotions are a gift from God. But I've heard a quote that says, emotions are a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. Emotions are a wonderful servant and a terrible master. So we need to be aware of our feelings, of our emotions, and we need to take responsibility for them but not let them control us. So what we feel is not how we are. Think about that. And another way to say it is what we feel is not who we are. Listen, Proverbs 16.32 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. He who rules his spirit. So, again, we're all going to feel anger at times, and that's not a sin. That's normal. But it's how we act on the anger uh, that can become a problem. And here's the thing that I think is where really this is, this is maybe the issue for a lot of people, and it's kind of where the rubber meets the road. When you make a habit out of acting on your feelings or acting on your anger, and that habit continues over a long time, um, you, eventually, you eventually lose awareness that that's even happening. It just kind of becomes who you are. It kind of, acting out on anger, acting out on your feelings just kind of becomes who you are, which is, of course, a lie and a perversion of your identity because that's not who you are. That's not who you are. That's not what, who God says you are. So there's one person who can tell you who you are. And he has eyes like fire and a voice like thunder and he sits on a throne. So we have to, we have to deal with our anger. And this is what we're going to do. So there's really good news today. And, and again, I just keep getting drawn back to that song we sang at the end of worship. You are good. You are good. And it's kind of like it provides a context 
for this commandment. God, you are good. And God wants us to be free of this thing. So some of us have been angry for so long that we don't even realize we're angry anymore. It's just the new normal. And the amazing news is that we don't have to be a prisoner to anger and we can break the cycle of anger in our life. Is that good? Amen. So this is really about being free and, and who, he whom the son set free is free indeed. And I'm, I'm thinking about, I just had this thought last night before uh, Saturday night service started. If you have had a habit of acting out in anger for a long time, it's, it's almost like if you could imagine someone who was born in jail, you know, you think about that. They were born in jail and they were raised in jail and all they've ever known are those walls of that jail. They were educated there, they make their friends there, they grow up there and that becomes their normal. And they just don't even know that there's anything beyond those walls. Yet the truth is, outside is almost limitless freedom. They just don't know. And when you have made a habit out of acting on your emotions and specifically acting on your anger, it becomes normal to you. And you, you lose the awareness that that's even what's happening. And you lose the awareness that there's freedom beyond that. But there is freedom beyond that. And I believe that it's God's purpose and plan today for you to be free. So how do we change our heart? It's simple. It's, it's, in fact, it's so simple that I'm a little bit concerned that the power and the effectiveness of the solution might go over some people's heads because it's so simple. And you would think with something that we have, we've all looked for the last 20, 25 minutes at how big of a deal this is. And you might think that something this important and significant needs a very complex, drawn out, big solution, but it doesn't. It's very simple, but it's very powerful. So here's how you break this out of your life. Number one, you confess and repent. You confess and repent. Here's why it's simple. Because anger exists or can exist in three uh, realms, places in your life. It can exist in your thoughts. It can exist in your heart. And it can exist in a spiritual level in your life. And so you simply have to deal with it in each one of those levels. Uh, so you confess and you repent. When you repent, you in essence receive healing in your heart. That's what it says in the Bible. Let's read it. 1 John 1.9 says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There it is right there. Do we, is, does anything else need to be said beyond that? That's about as comprehensive and complete an answer as you can get. And it's straight out of the Bible. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us 
from all unrighteousness. So the moment you repent, the moment you recognize, okay, yes, this is an issue. I've been listening to this message. I've been realizing some things going on. I've been seeing some habits in my life. Yes, this is something I need to get right in this area. You confess and then you repent and you say, God, I don't want this in my heart anymore. I repent. Repent can be almost a scary religious sounding word, but Pastor Sean talked about this a couple weeks ago, that repent is simply to turn another direction. And if you're walking towards a cliff, there's nothing wrong with repenting. And that's kind of what's happening if you've got anger in your heart. So you confess and you repent, God forgives you, God cleanses you, and you deal with anger in your heart. Now, this is a powerful truth that sometimes causes people to remain in um, bondage, slavery, uh, chained up in things in their life, and they don't get free, and they don't understand why. Because once you repent, you have to deal with habits in your thinking that have been established prior to your repentance. So if you were living with a habit of acting out in anger or, or lingering on anger, then you have developed a habit of thoughts that, na that naturally just start to come. You're driving on the, okay, I'm just going to be transparent. I'm just going to be honest with you. My weakness is... Is, is, is on the road. That's, that's my thing. And so that's, that's, I need to repent. I need to, well, and I have repented, but I need, I, I need this. I need this retraining of the mind. Because, like, so I'll drive in. It takes 20 minutes to get from where I live to the church. And a lot of that's on the highway. And just like two or three days ago, you're driving down the highway and then there are places, these country roads that go out onto the highway. And this guy sees me coming. You're feeling my pain, I know. He sees me coming and he just pulls right out. And I'm going like 65, 70 miles an hour and he pulls right out. And so it's like, okay, I, I, okay, I know he saw me coming. I'm just going to get around him and go around him. Which I'm obviously going much faster than him because he just pulled out. But then he immediately has to go faster than me. And there's just some little switch inside of me that's like, you are not going to go faster than me. And, and then the Holy Spirit taps me on the shoulder and says, Aaron, you're being ridiculous. And then I'm like, yes, God, I am. I repent. And I slow down and I let the guy pass me and go on. But there are moments like that where we have an automated response. We have to retrain our thinking. Even after dealing with it in your heart, you have to retrain your mind. Remember I said it happens in three areas, uh, your heart, your mind, and your spirit. So number two, number one was confess and repent. Number two is renew your mind, change your thought patterns. Every time I preach, I figure out some way to bring in Romans 12 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have to do that. But the verse I really want to give you for this point is 2 Corinthians 10.5. Because this is a tool that you can use starting right now that works, and it works all the time. 
2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. When you have repented of a sin and you have made the decision that you're going to renew your mind, you may have to take a thought captive a hundred times a day. And don't think that that's strange or you're, you know, something's wrong or something's out of line in that. What's happening is you're unlearning habits and reestablishing new habits. Um, so if you have a problem with anger and you're at work and your coworker does things to, to pick at you, to push your buttons, and your natural habit is to get angry, then you just literally, and what I do is I literally do exactly what it says. And I say, I take that thought captive in the name of Jesus. And like I said, there might be a hundred times a day that I have to stop what I'm doing and say, nope, I take that thought captive in the name of Jesus. Uh, if you're dealing with other areas of sin in your life, uh, pride, lust, things like that, you may have to continually say, no, I take that thought captive in the name of Jesus. That's just you doing what this verse says. That's you using your authority and retraining your mind to no longer go to those automated responses. And then we have one other area, and I want to ask the band to come back up. And we are actually, yes, we are actually coming into a close, I know. You're looking at the clock. You're looking at who's speaking. Your, your brain is saying, how is this happening? Um, but it is because we've covered what we need to cover. And we're going to do what needs to be done. And I believe that God has a purpose for this time. And I believe the Holy Spirit is here to set you free. And look, you may have walked into here today not even knowing that you need to be free. Because you may, you may have been thinking, this is just who I am. I'm an angry person. I've got a short fuse. Don't push my buttons. I'll get in your face. I've, this is just who I am. And as you look at what Jesus says about anger and murder, you're saying, wait a minute. I don't want to be this person. And so God is here. The Holy Spirit is here to set you free. And there is a level of freedom you could experience that you have never known. And it'll feel like a brand new life. But there is a spiritual level of dealing with anger as well. Because remember what we read uh, where it said, do not let the sun go down with your anger. Because if you don't deal with it quickly, then you, then you can provide a place or a foothold for the devil, for the enemy to operate in your life. And if that's been the case, you may be dealing with what the Bible refers to as a spirit of anger. And so it can be emotional, it can be mental with habits of thoughts, and it can be spiritual. And the spiritual is really the easiest to deal with of all. Because Jesus has given us the power of his name. And his name is above every name. His name is far above anger. 
And so all authority is in the power of the name of Jesus. And he's given us the privilege and the honor to speak in his name as his representative. So it's kind of like you've been given, think about an ambassador of a country that, that has been sent to another land to represent their home country. They have the authority to speak in the, uh, the power and the authority of their home country. You have that. And so when we're dealing with this on a spiritual level, you're speaking in the authority of Jesus' name. So this is what we're going to do. I want to ask you all to stand up. I'm going to pray. I'll just tell you everything that's going to happen right to the end of the message or to the end of the service. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to worship one more time. And then at the end of the service, our prayer ministry team is going to come up here. And if you want to pray further, if you're like, this rang my bell today, this is something I need to deal with, then I want to invite you to come up and let one of our prayer ministry team people pray with you today. Because the, the listen, the, the plan and the purpose of God for this time right here is that you walk out of here free. That's the purpose of God. So let's pray right now. <clears throat> Father, we thank you. You're so good. You're so good, Lord. You love us so much. Your love is so complete. It's, it's unending. It's steadfast. And Lord, we thank you, God, that it's your will for us that we be free. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And Lord, when you set us free, you don't want us to return to slavery. You want us to stay in freedom, to walk in freedom. And so we thank you for this, Lord. We want to be free from anger, God. We don't want to carry this in our heart. We don't want to have habits in our mind. We don't want some attack going on against us spiritually. And so right now, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the authority of the name of Jesus, we address every spirit of anger that would try to latch onto our life, that would try to influence, impact, or infect our thinking or our feeling. And in the name of Jesus, we break that hold now in Jesus' name. We command every spirit of anger to be to be broken off in Jesus' name. We command it to go now in the name of Jesus. We declare that we are sons and daughters of God. We're in covenant with God. Our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. And there is no attacking spirit of anger that has any authority or any right to influence us in our, in our life in any way. So we command it to go in Jesus' name and we just take up our right as, as free sons and daughters of God right now. And Lord, we just put all of our attention and all of our affection and all of our focus on you. We give you all glory and all honor in Jesus' name.